Good morning. If you have your Bibles out, we'll start there in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What do you notice about those verses? They, they represent the idea of what concept? It's the idea of, of, of balance. You see the, the balance of these two things. Last week we stalk, talked about stability in Christ, about not losing your stability, Peter said. And this morning we're going to talk about balance. And, and those are not the same things. Stability and balance are, are two different things. We think about, uh, think about the idea of balance. We have these sayings in the world. All sunshine makes a desert. If all you have is sunshine, it makes a desert. And it's an idea that means if everything always goes well, if all you have is sunshine in your life, don't you know that all sunshine makes a desert? When I was in college, there was a, a friend of mine who was big. It's a big guy, big, strong, powerful guy. And he recommended a, a book to me one time. He um, had a reputation of being a real gentleman. And that, that was the way people thought of him as being a big gentleman, even though he was such a, a, a brute. He, people talked about what a gentleman he was. And he said when he was young, he read a book called, uh, and forgive me, I don't know anything about this book, if it's good or bad. So if it's a horrible book, forgive me. But it, it's an old, <laughs> I'll tell you why I say that. It's an old book called A Man of Steel and Velvet. I went and asked for it at the library, and, and a very old librarian lady looked at me and she said, you don't want that book. <laughs> she said, that book's a bunch of garbage. That effect doesn't mean... But, but, I, but on the cover, it had a picture of a guy, and it had qualities on one side and on the other. And you get the idea of a man of steel and velvet. That, that, that to be a man, and to be a strong man, to be able to be masculine, and at the same time, to be gentle. And the book had a, a picture on the front. It was, it was symmetrical and it had a line right down the middle. And it's the idea of a balanced personality. A balance. See, you can be stable and imbalanced in a way. You can be way over here on the extreme and you can have your feet firmly planted in your extremity, can't you? Yes, you can. You can be the most stable person in the world and not be balanced. They are two different concepts and they're both in Scripture. Do you realize that nature itself teaches us the value of balance in our creation? In the creation of man, do you, do you see? So we think about the things that man needs. We need things like sleep and food and exercise. In those categories, which is worse, too much or too little? You get too little sleep and you have all kinds of health problems. But if someone gets, is sleeping too much, that's also an indication of health problems. What about food? It, they found that in some cases it's more dangerous to be seriously underweight than seriously overweight. Too much or too little? What about exercise? Yeah. Too little exercise and we have health problems. Too much exercise and we have health problems. Even our creation tells us that God has created us for balance. Now before we get started, this is very important to me, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the end of the New Testament, to Revelation chapter 3. I want to make this point up front. Is there a difference between being balanced and being lukewarm? There's a big difference. The Bible condemns lukewarmness. And, and lukewarmness is a little of this and a little of that. And I, I thought about those, those verses that Carl read. For example... A time to kill and a time to heal. Okay? That's a balanced statement. Lukewarm would be, you know, that you kind of poke someone and wound them a little bit and then, and then you kind of patch them up a little bit but not quite and they're still bleeding and, you know, some, some middle ground between those two, that's lukewarmness. It's that meh 
in between. You can take two weights on a board and you can move them infinitely farther apart from each other and maintain balance. Lukewarmness is trying to put them both right in the middle. There's no stability in that. I, I think about the, uh, the Colossus. You know, you think, I used to have a friend who could ride a unicycle. Okay. It's always trying to, to ride that line in between. Always trying to stay on that one thing. There, there was not much stability on a unicycle. He was balanced, but he had no stability. Don't be a unicycle Christian. Don't try to ride that line and, and, and say, well, I'm going I'm to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. There's no stability there. The things we're going to look at, the pairings we're going to look at, I want to encourage you to plant one foot on one side and one foot on the other side and put your whole weight on both of those things. As we go through these scriptures, you'll, you'll see what we're talking about. Revelation 3.16, here's the problem with lukewarmness. He, he says in verse 14, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some translations straight up just say, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That lukewarmness, whenever I teach that in class, one of the, one of the teenagers always talks about picking up something like coffee and you expect it to be hot and it's lukewarm. And you spit it out. It doesn't taste right. Or a cold soft drink that has come up to room temperature and you expect it to be cold, but it's lukewarm and it doesn't taste right. So don't you dare this morning think that I'm advocating lukewarmness in your faith. I want you to plant your feet firmly on both sides. The need for spiritual balance, not physical balance, but spiritual balance. I will never forget, I will never forget when I started preaching, my dad took me aside and he said, Kevin... Don't be part of any man's camp. He said, people will try to draw you to this camp and people will try to draw you into that camp and they'll ask you whose side you're on. Are you on our side or are you on their side or are you on our side or are you on their side? He said, don't be part of anybody's camp. Amen. He said, follow Christ. And he said, now the consequence is that people are going to accuse you of straddling the fence. And I loved this picture. He said, Always remind yourself, on a narrow path, there is no fence in the path. The fences are on the right and the left. Walking a narrow path, having balance, godly balance, Christ-like balance, is not being lukewarm. It's not straddling the fence. It's following in the footsteps of Christ. And it doesn't matter what my dad said. It doesn't matter what I say. Let's go to Scripture and see if this idea of balance is in God's Word. We're going to start out in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. Probably one of the better known verses on balance. Ephesians chapter 4. We studied previously in verse 14 about not being tossed to and fro and, and being carried about by every wind of doctrine, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But instead, here's verse 15, but rather speaking the truth. We're to grow up in every way. Right? Or, or speaking lovingly, we're to grow up in every way. Which is it? Want to take a vote? Do we prefer truth or we do, do we prefer love? 
The Bible says, rather speaking the truth in love. Now, you know what? One of the, the most common sense things about that is we understand this. We understand that the harder the truth, the more necessary the love is. If we're going to be a congregation that's going to teach hard things, what does that mean for us as a church? We're going to have to be more loving. You, you can't say we're going to be more truthful and we're just going to stay where we are as far as how much we love people. If you're going to increase one, you've got to increase the other as well. They can't be out of balance. And you know this is true. For example, think about the people in your life who can tell you things so plainly that other people might look at them and say, you're going to let them talk to you like that? Yeah, it's, he's my friend. He, whenever I ask someone, wow, he, he really spoke very bluntly with you. Yeah, we've known each other for years. It was a real pleasure in the, in the college class this morning to be able to tell the, the college students. I said, you know, the longer I've known people in the church here, the more I found out about them, the more I found out about their failures and their problems and their sins and their temptations. And I can tell you this morning, I love you way more now than I did nine years ago. Why does it work that way? Well, why does it work that way that the more we know and the, the more we can say and, and to love a congregation is important because if you don't love the people you preach to, you can't tell them anything. You can't tell them the truth. You can't reprove, rebuke, and exhort if you don't also love them. And that's not just a preacher thing. That's a Christian thing. You want to raise your kids and you want to tell them the truth about where they need to grow and where they're doing well and, and where they need to improve, you better love them as well. And the harder truths you tell them, the more deeply you have to love them. Balancing truth and love, the, the, the harder the truth, the more patience is required. When we think about 1 Corinthians 13 and love. Why does it require more patience? As the difficulty of a truth increases, why does patience have to increase as well? Because you know what? The harder a truth is, the longer and more difficult it is to master that truth. To try to follow that truth. It takes patience. We take a young man or a young woman and we want to, to raise them to be a, a participant in the, in the work of the church. And, and so they start out. How do they do it first? Are they perfect? Do they do really well? No. It takes patience. We have high expectations. So we want them to grow. Uh, the idea of kindness. Why does it take more kindness when we have more truth? Because we can get more discouraged when we fall short. When we teach a hard truth. When we teach a, a high truth. People get discouraged so we must be more kind. We must be more gentle. The harder the truth, the more gentleness is required. We have to think about how we say things and, 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 and what we say to someone so that they can hear what we're saying. Have you ever seen two people yelling at each other? And neither one of them is listening to the other one? They're just talking at each other. They're just two heads screaming at each other. And it's funny, you'll see it on the news sometimes. You have two people and they're both talking at the same time and nobody's listening. Balancing the truth and love. It's not an option. It's not a choice. And everyone in here has seen the extremes. You've seen people who are full of truth. Who have very little love for the people they're speaking to. And you, you couldn't question a thing they're saying. Yes, factually, they're correct. Factually, that's what the Bible says. Factually, they're right. They're talking to me like, like they're better than me. They're talking to me like they hate me. They're talking to me like I have, I have no chance in this world. And then you've seen the other extreme. Where we, we say everybody is rainbows and unicorns. And everything is wonderful. And, and sometimes you need to hear that you need to change. I need to hear that I need to change. Right? 
Sometimes we need to hear the truth about ourselves. We need someone to tell us the truth, to reprove and rebuke so that we can repent and do what's right. Balancing truth and love. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Here's a difficult one. And isn't balance always difficult? Balance is not easy. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise, or some translations say, as shrewd as serpents. And innocent as doves. Now, I've never seen a dove snake, but that would scare some of you to death. <laughs> a snake that could fly. Some of, some of you would never go outside again. Does it mean a lukewarm conglomeration of the two, or does it mean both? Both. Not 50% of one and 50% of the other, but both. You know, when people say that Christians are naive and foolish and lack common sense, that's not a good message to the world. We're supposed to be shrewd. We're supposed to be wise as serpents. We're supposed to be those. You know, we studied wisdom in class this morning. We're supposed to be the people who aren't foolish. We're supposed to be the people who have God's wisdom. But have you ever gotten in a fight with someone who didn't know as much about a subject as you do? And there's a great disparity between you and the other person. It's very easy to beat them up verbally. Isn't it <laughs> It's very easy to beat them up verbally, to run circles around them. So, so in, that, in that wisdom, you need that wisdom, you need that shrewdness, because we have the wisdom of God that, that doesn't even compare to the wisdom of the world. And what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be as vicious as a wolf with it? Or are you going to balance it with the innocence of doves? You think about a dove, what do you think of? You don't think about a hawk, you don't think about talons, you don't think about an attacking bird. Think about something white and pure and innocent and above reproach. And there's a balance necessary there. Look in James chapter 1. What about our joy and our sorrow? If someone comes up and introduces you to someone and, and behind their hand they say, she's a real Pollyanna. What do they mean by that? It's not really based in reality, is it? I mean, it kind of sees the... They're not saying she's a positive person. They're saying they are beyond positive. Kind of out of touch with reality. And if they come up and introduce another person and say, yeah, she's a, she's a real uh, uh, Debbie Downer. What do they mean? Oh, she's in touch with reality, all right. <laughs> all the negative reality. The negative Nelly, the, the idea. And, and so what is... And people can be very stable in that. I'm stably a Pollyanna. I'm stably a, a, a negative Nelly. And, and so what's the balance? The balance. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We're to be joyful. Paul told the church over and over, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. We are to have joy. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes in our own lives we need to weep. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. You ought not to always feel good about yourself when you leave worship. Do you know that? If 52 weeks out of a year you walk out of here thinking that everything in your life is wonderful, I'm not doing my job. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 
And verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you've proved yourselves innocent in this matter. This idea of the productive sorrow in a Christian's life. Do you need productive sorrow? Are are there times when it's not only good, but right and necessary for you to make your children sad? If your goal as a parent is for your kids to always be happy, you're not going to get what you're hoping to get. When a child crosses a line, when they do something wrong, they need to find some sorrow on the other side. There needs to be some consequence. There needs to be some some right and wrong in their life. Some joy and some sorrow. The Bible talks about the balance in a Christian's life. Count it all joy, but don't discount the godly sorrow. Now there's a little challenge. Turn back to Matthew chapter 23. What do you do? What do you do to find balance when the two things have different weights? I want you to imagine in your mind, imagine a weightlifter and he gets ready to put the the weights on the the bar and he puts three 45-pound plates on one side and then he goes over to the other side and he puts a 25 on that side. You got that in your mind? Three 45s on one side and and a 25 on the other side. And he gets down on the bench and he gets ready to bench press. What's going to happen? It's not going to be balance, is there? How do you balance when there's more weight on one side than on the other? You move, you move the fulcrum, don't you? If you, have a, if you have a plank and you have more weight on one side than the other, you don't put the fulcrum in the middle, you put it over here. But I want you to notice something. We're going to look at a verse and then we're going to come back to that. Look in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Speaking to a very unbalanced group of people, the Pharisees. By the way, which way were they balanced? Truth or love? Truth. Scribes were lumped in right there with them. The scribes knew every jot and tittle. They knew every letter of the law. But they were unbalanced. Jesus was very up on them, wasn't he? Those unbalanced individuals. Yeah, he was very proud of them for their behavior, wasn't he? No. No. Not at all. He called them sons of hell. He, he called the things they followed doctrines of demons. He, he talked about the different things that people did. And, and verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. There's a very important idea in there from the words of Jesus. Without neglecting the others. Go back to your example. The weightlifter, he, he's, he's picking up the weights. If he moves himself all the way down to the other end near the weightier things, he can lift those weights. But what if he says, you know, that, that less weighty stuff down there, that's not important. What if he throws those weights off the end? Then what happens? He still loses his balance. If you have a, a, a piece of wood and you've got heavier things and lighter things and you move that fulcrum until it balances and you say, okay, now that I've got balance, I don't need those lighter things. Let me just get rid of those. Then what happens? You're no longer in balance. And this is what we see in the religious world. The Bible says these are weightier things and so now I'm going to say these are the only things. Right? Right? These are the important things, so they're the only things. Is that what 
Jesus said? No, he said, you, you should have recognized these. You should have done these without neglecting the others. Balance requires that even if the fulcrum is moved one way or the other, that we don't neglect the less weighty things. That we understand the things that matter to Christ, but that we don't discount the things that were still important. What about discipline and forgiveness? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Do you know what's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? A man who had his father's wife. Sexual immorality in the church in Corinth. And they said it was so bad. It was a kind of sexual immorality that not even the Gentiles, not even the non-Christians had. That they weren't experiencing those things. But it was in the church. What were they going to do about it? Verse 2, Paul says, you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who's done this be removed from among you. Put him out. There's no place for this in the church, Paul said. Put him out. For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Yep. Be done with him. Put him out. Get him out of the church. Don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Paul goes on to say, get him out. There's no place for that kind of sin in the church. Is that what it says? Yes. That is exactly what it says. There is no place for that kind of sin to be unchecked in the church. Period. You know where the balance is? It's in 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Most people believe in chapter 2 that Paul is speaking of that same young man. He talks about writing to them out of affliction and anguish of heart. And in verse 5 he says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it. Not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you. To reaffirm your love for him. I want you to think about that word reaffirm. I don't know what your translation has there. But what does that imply? If I reaffirm my commitment. What does that tell you? That I had a previous commitment. To reaffirm your love for someone means that you had what? A previous love for that person. Now look. We, we all know this. Do you know where we get church discipline wrong? That we don't precede church discipline with love. We wait until someone is gone and has been gone for months and feels very unloved. And then we talk about disciplining them. <laughs> Where do you get that in scripture? Do you know when discipline is most effective? When your love for someone is most evident. When that person feels love, then church fellowship matters to them. Then being part of a body matters to them. We got to get that right. That, that balance of love and discipline. We, Heather and I, I can't help but think about Heather and I raising a great Dane before we had children, thankfully. <laughs> Poor dog. Hey puppy, can we dump all of our mistakes on you? <laughs> we thought training a dog meant disciplining a dog. So when he would do something wrong, we would, we, would, we would punish him. We would discipline him. We would do whatever we thought was right. 
There's no training involved. There, there, there was no, there's no affection. There, there was not a lot of walk. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of playing. There, was, there wasn't anything to balance the other side. And so it was funny. That, that dog couldn't have cared any less about us. It's was, it was a horrible, horrible dog owner relationship. It was. And you know whose fault it was? It was ours. Because we didn't understand how to balance love and discipline. Now, why would you be surprised if someone leaves the church and doesn't care anything about the church if we haven't balanced love and discipline? Now, don't fall for the people who say, pick one or the other. Well, just love them. Just love them. Just love them. Just love them. No, there's a time for 1 Corinthians 5 and there's a time for 1 Corinthians 2, but you have to be prepared for both of them. You love someone so that the discipline is effective, so that you can deliver their soul. So that you can save them from the temptations. Over and over. Innocence and wisdom. Truth and love. Joy and sorrow. Justice and mercy. Why would God call his children to be balanced Christians? Well, he's a balanced God, is he not? In Romans chapter 11 and verse 21. The Bible says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Now how could God be both kind and severe? Severity toward those who have fallen but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness otherwise you too will be cut off. See here's the problem people have. They don't want to preach balance. They say well he's a kind God. He's a good God. No he's a severe God. He's an angry God. Is God kind or severe? He's both. In perfect balance. Now, now notice we talked about lukewarm. You would never say God is Ah, a little kind. And he's a little severe. Is he? No, he's full blast, both. Hell is not going to be a pleasant place. And heaven is not going to be a boring place. The kindness and severity, the war, reward and the punishment. And when Paul wrote to the church in, in Thessalonica, and he talked to them about the coming of the Lord, he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6 that God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was beloved. So you have this, this binary thought. You have this, this balanced idea that God is a God of severity. God is a God who will punish wrongdoers. He, he will repay those who afflict the church. And he will reward beyond our wildest dreams those who follow him and obey him and put their trust in his son. Now anybody who attempts to water down either of those two fully stable points is preaching lukewarm theology, lukewarm Christianity, lukewarm doctrine, lukewarm Bible. Behold the goodness and severity of God. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you how much of the counsel of God the whole council. The whole council. Timothy, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience. 
And so the idea of as we teach these things, as, as we do these things, and, and now we ask, do, do we seek God or does God seek us? Both. Do we love God or does God love us? Both. Do we have to obey God or does God extend grace to us? Both. Don't be led astray by people who ask you to choose and lose your balance. Either direction. Maintain your stability in Christ. Truth and love. Innocence and wisdom. <laughs> Justice and mercy. You know who wants you to be knocked off that balance? Is Satan. He wants you to run to extremes. He wants you to go to the right or to the left. And he wants you to lob grenades from one to the other. And, and everybody who's trying to walk that narrow path ends up getting shrapnel because of the missiles flying one direction and the other. Come to Christ. Honor his word, all of his word, all of his inspired scripture. Don't pick and choose what you like. Be balanced in your approach. Don't pick the things you like or the things that reinforce what you believe. But seek truth where it may be found. And then bend your will to that truth. We'll close this morning talking about the reconciliation of God. How many people does it take to reconcile? One? If one person wants to reconcile, can you do it? No, it takes two. And the Bible says be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Well, what's going to make that possible? Because the Bible says when we're outside of Christ, we're enemies of God. Who's going to reconcile us? Who's going to get us back together? The Bible says sin has made a separation between you and your God. Who's going to reconcile? Well, God, you do it. You come over here to the pig pen and you take care of me. No, 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 no. We need to do everything. We need to earn our salvation. We need to get everything right and then God will accept us. Which one of those two is, is right? Neither. Reconciliation is a cooperation, is it not? So what does God ask you to do to reconcile? Anything? Absolutely. Men and brethren, what shall we do in Acts chapter 2? What do we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Right? Peter didn't say nothing. He didn't say say a prayer. He didn't say belief. He said repent, change your mind, change your ways, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then God added them to the church because you can't add yourself to the church because God reconciles with you. He says, I'll forgive your sins. I'll add you to the church. I'll give you my spirit. And so we have this idea of a reconciliation. And people want to pull you left and they want to pull you right. And you as a Christian, as a Bible-believing Christian, need to not be pulled. Don't let anybody take your stability. Don't let Satan knock you off balance. Don't settle for lukewarm. Search for balance. Be like Christ. Be like the Father. If you need to come this morning, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.